Welcome to Hubstaff's Agency Advantage Podcast, hosted by Andy Baldacci. Each week, Andy interviews a successful agency owner who shares their proven strategies to help you build and grow your agency. Hey, everybody, and welcome back to episode number 42 of Hubstaff's Agency Advantage Podcast. I'm your host, Andy Baldacci, and today I'm talking with Justin Christensen. Justin is a longtime entrepreneur, and after selling his previous business, he began consulting and eventually launched Conversion Fanatics, an agency that specializes in data-driven conversion optimization strategies. They've been growing like crazy recently, and today Justin pulls back the curtain to share the old-school tactic that is driving that growth, direct mail. Even if you never plan on sending a single piece of direct mail, this episode is packed with advice that can help you better market your agency. Because not only does Justin talk about how they've developed a sophisticated outbound sales system, but he talks about the mindset that was required to make any sales system work. If you struggled with sales and want to improve, or you just want to hear other success stories, this is the episode for you. So without further ado, here's Justin. Justin, thanks for coming on the show today. Yeah, thanks for having me, Andy. It's my pleasure. No, so I'm really excited to talk to you because I think a lot of what you've done with your agency is not as traditional, or maybe it is very traditional. It depends on who you ask. But why don't we just start by having you tell listeners a little bit about yourself and your agency, Conversion Fanatics? Well, I've been doing digital marketing for about 14 years now, give or take, somewhere in that ballpark. I don't know. They kind of all blend together. So I had sold a company back in 09 and I had always been doing split testing and different things and I'd even published some information on it um, at my former company. And when I got out of that company, then I uh, kept getting asked all the time about the implementation, the optimization side of things. People were just not really sure what to do um, or how to go about it. So based on demand, I kind of went into some private consulting and then the demand kept growing, so I had partnered up with a, a longtime friend who was doing a lot of the same thing, but he had the systems, the processes, and the people um, started. Uh, so we just joined forces, and Conversion Fanatics was born. How long ago was that? Would you say where it was actually like officially became its own thing, its own agency? Um, two and a half years ago. Okay. And since then, how have you how have you grown? Because it's one thing where a lot of agencies if they can kind of dog food their own services, that's great. But for a conversion agency, you can't really A-B test and just get a bunch of clients without having a ton of traffic. So like, how did you build the agency from those early days up to where you are now? A lot of failure. <laughs> <laughs> You're honest. Yeah, we tried and still do try a lot of things and just go forward and break stuff. And... We tried the webinar route. We tried the direct response route because both of us came from a direct response um, style marketing background. So we tried that. We tried info, lead-ins. We tried pretty much everything. And then we just happened to say, well, let's, what would happen if we ran a direct mail campaign or a direct outreach campaign, taking kind of a page out of Salesforce, how they had their massive growth um, in the technology world. And it worked. <laughs> we started getting some interest and eventually some clients and then it just kind of went from there and we've just continually trying to improve every little step of the process along the way. 
there's a couple of things that I, I noticed in your answer is that one, you're not afraid of failure. You kind of almost embrace it. You, you know, you need to keep improving things. You're not going to hit a home run on your first at bat. But beyond that, though, is what made you decide to try direct mail? Because I've talked to a lot of agency owners. I'm sure some of them do it on some scale, but it's nothing that everyone's like coming out of the gate like, oh, let's let's do some direct mail. What made you think maybe this could work? Well, we found out quickly that our target audience, the people that needed our help the most, weren't actively searching for the solution. They're not living on Facebook. They're not necessarily browsing their Twitter feed. Um, They're not going to various websites. They're busy executives. They're busy professionals that don't have time for that. They're in the trenches. You need to get their attention somehow. So that the, we just had to figure out a way to get in front of them because the other they come to us type methods wasn't working. Uh, so we just had to go out with just on a whim just said, let's, let's try it. Let's roll it out and see what happens. And um, the results were positive. What was that first campaign like, the first direct mail campaign? Oh, it was, I think the first one was we sent a handwritten yellow letter. So like a a legal pad type page um, with just a note and um, some information just to kind of, and then just crazy follow up from there because you're not going to get the response you, you would expect, you know, especially in the direct response world, you set an ad, you expect the clicks to come and you can adjust from there. But with direct mail, you send something, chances are you're not going to get any response from it. So it's important that you have a good, solid follow-up plan in place to back it up. Did you have that plan right away? No. <laughs> okay. So it was it like the first one, had you done some research and known like, all right, we need to do some follows, we need to do this or what, what did that look like at that point? Well, we started out initially just doing cold outreach emails, and then we tried the, the, the direct mail route. And then so we had some, some follow-up in place, but not strategic enough or long enough to really get the impact. But we did see some response from the follow-up, and some people raised their hands and expressed interest. So we knew we were on to something. So we just needed to refine it and tweak it. And uh, that's just what we continually do. That's the mindset what really is needed for almost any marketing or sales channel to begin with is that so many people think with Facebook ads or with whatever that they can just throw up a campaign, it's going to start printing money, and then they're going to grow like crazy, and that's all they need to do. They don't realize how difficult it is, so then that's what leads to all those blog posts that say, oh, Facebook ads are dead, or oh, cold calling is dead, all these things. It's because they, they think it's too easy, and easier than it is. Oh, it's not nothing. It's not easy. <laughs> There's absolutely nothing easy about it. It takes takes risk. I mean, I remember one campaign we sent out a small batch of a hundred, and inside was attached to the insert was a hundred dollar bill. At the time, we didn't have an extra thousand bucks laying around. It failed miserably um, because we didn't have the strategic follow up in place. This was early on. We were like, let's you know, this has got to get the attention of them, and it did. We got some attention. But it never turned out to be any deal. So it was a big gamble on our part. And we just figured out what we did wrong or could have done better and went out and did it better the next time. What does this campaign look like today? Is it Do you have one campaign that you consistently run to generate interest or is it always something new? Um, I think we have three or four running right now to different audiences and different things. But 
for the most part, we kind of have our go-to um, that we run the majority of our contacts through that we through our research and our all of that things. But now actually on Monday, we mapped out a new direct mail slash phone slash email campaign um, to test out here in the coming next couple of weeks. Who are your target market? I, I, like, who is your target market? I should have asked that in the beginning, actually. Um, companies generally, I guess they fall in probably the 10 to 20 million in revenue range. We've worked all the way up into 300 million. We're actually going to be testing it on all some more blue chip style companies, you know, hitting more of the fortune type lists to express interest. That's what kind of prompted this new campaign. For this new campaign, like what is it looking like? What's the first touch going to be? A big box of stuff. <laughs> just sent via FedEx, just sent over to them to, uh, I guess, your target buyer? or Yep, directly to uh, our target, who this happens to be the CMO. Um, and we're being very strategic in finding out who that person's assistant is. So we can get ins, we're hitting them from kind of both directions. Um, and it isn't, but the, the key to kind of an outreach style campaign is, it isn't about me as the agency owner. It isn't about my company. It's about them. So we really drive it home with results um, and proof of the results. That's that's one thing we really kind of emphasize throughout our entire campaign. So we never just send a message or a touch point that says, "Hey, just checking in," or "Thought I'd you know I hope I find you well," um, or you know, "Look at this." It's all with a purpose. So there's always a reason for us to reach out to them. Maybe we have a new case study example that's in their similar market or something exciting's happening or we're going to a trade show or something, some reason to reach out to them. Um, it, it's kind of what we can follow. Interesting, because when, when you said that, it's I'm immediately thinking of all the cold emails that I get in the follow-ups are just like, oh, just checking in, like just checking in, and I'll get like five of those in a row. And it's like, why? Like, I, like this isn't making me more likely to give this a time of day because you're not providing me with any reason to. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's like nobody needs more stuff to do, and they think it's just more stuff that you're helping them do. And if you lead with value and information and make it about them, it, it becomes easier. This sounds like it's going to need a bit of personalization. Like you're not sending out while you have kind of a general funnel that you're going to work people through. You're not just sending out the same letter, the same thing to thousands of people. Are you? No, I mean, it's similar in a lot of ways, but the follow-up afterwards is definitely personalized, you know, to, uh, you know, right before we got on this, uh, we sent out a, a touch point to a prospect that got cold and it was something unique and different. It was a direct mail piece that had their logo on it and a picture from their website and, and things like that to kind of personalize it and make that touch point a little different than just saying, Hey, just touching base or we haven't chatted in a while. When's good for you. When you talk about providing value up front and making it all about them and, and how you can help them in results and all of that, other than case studies, what, types of value can you provide with a in a direct mail campaign uh we show them where they where we feel they need some improvement okay so it'll be like it can be almost like personalized teardowns or not a full it could it could it's whatever just think about it this way it's whatever gets them to raise their hand and say yes to something 
Um, so we don't, you don't ask for long, crazy questions. You don't ask for all of that stuff. You ask for the simple yes or no. And that's as easy as it gets because they don't have time and the lower barrier to entry that you can give them to respond or interact or engage, the better off you're going to be. And so what would an example of one of those yes or no questions be that you're trying to trying to get the answer to? I found some information on your site. You want me to send it over? Yes or no? Is that like something you're going to send? Because I'm guessing you're not sending them a letter that says that and then asking them to write back. That, would that be like an email? Uh, yeah, that would be more in an email. But a direct response thing, you're not expecting a response. You're just getting on the radar. That's the whole point is, like you said, I mean, it's, it's 10 to 12 touches typically to get the ball really rolling in a sales scenario. You know, we found that it's, it's simple. It could be as simple as, you know, mailing a copy of my book, but it isn't immediate. You know, we've seen it many times. A prospect goes cold, so I mail him a copy of a book, and two months later they go, hey, read your book. You want to – let's chalk. Um, but you just lead with that value is, is probably the biggest thing. Um, and opening that doors and constantly being on their radar because timing is everything, uh, specifically in our business. You know, they might be coming up on a different budget or they're coming up on a busy season and then they see a dip in conversion rates. So we have to be on their radar. It might take six months for some of these larger companies and some might be 30 days. Because I think the way you're talking about this, it's immediately apparent to me like how this is different than the way most people are going to approach it or even think about direct mail. But to me, it it's even changing how I thought of it because you're, you don't have a straight direct mail campaign. This is a, an outreach campaign that has direct mail as some of the touches. It has, I'm guessing, phone calls. It has email as well. Is that accurate? Yeah. How do you keep track of all of that? We use a software um, called from Sales Loft, Cadence, their Cadence software. And is it someone's full-time job to be on top of this, or is it everyone that has a little piece in it, or how does that actually look in your business? Um, we have a quote-unquote account executive that handles, you know, we have a team that researches and gathers the leads um, on exactly who we are. We use software solutions for that as well um, to help just make sure we're sending to the right people or we'd be wasting a bunch of money. And then uh, from there, it just goes over to the account executive. We scrub and clean and f- make sure we have everything lined up. And then we push send, essentially. What percent of your new business generation comes from cold outreach? Mm, 90%. Okay. So this is what is really driving the agency kind of far and away. Yep. I think, well, I think last year, last year, um, we grew 150% last year and I think, um, 78% of our revenue last year was from outreach. Where did the, the rest of it come from? Is it more like word of mouth referrals? That sort of thing that's going to happen anyways. Yeah. Inbound and referrals to be able to have that type of growth, like to be able to have even a third of that growth, just, just to be able to get results from these outreach campaigns. Do you guys have a set number of prospects you want to be reaching every week? Like, where do you set your goals in that sense? Uh, 250 a week. And for all of those, they're going to get the 10 to 12 touches or more? More. We have our, the new, the new uh, sequence that we mapped out was uh, 180 days. Okay. And roughly how many touches do you expect to have over that time period? 
oh, 40. Wow. <laughs> so if, if I'm immediately thinking about this, it's like, I understand you said from the beginning, this is not what you guys had built. It was a slow process of iteration, of learning, and of adjusting. But if I hear that, as an agency, I'm going to say there's no way I'm, I have the time, there's no way I have the resources to be able to do that. So if you were to talk to an agency owner who wants to get started with this but can't think about potentially mapping out something that complex, what would you say to them? Start simple. I mean, you just got to really identify who it is that you can help and be creative. How can you get in front of them for within a tight budget? You know, cold, we started strictly on email. Um, without any direct mail. So there really wasn't a huge cost involved in that. A lot of the process of this too is is it, it shows your creativity. It shows the lengths you're willing to go to reach your customers. And I think that alone can help you stand out. But you're right in that there doesn't necessarily need to be one set way to do it. And it does, you can show your creativity in that sense. And it seems like to me, an easy sort of way of starting with it is looking at it really as instead of thinking like, all right, let's do this direct mail thing is kind of thinking about it more about how can I get in front of more potential buyers? Like how can I get these people who aren't looking for the services to notice me? And then there's a lot of other ways to do that rather than just sending lumpy mail rather than sending whatever it is that the actual offers are. But it's, it's thinking about that kind of just, relationship building process. That's exactly what it is that you hit it right on. It's, it's the relationship building process. That's all this. It should be thought about in that way, you know, cause people don't buy from you on first touch, you know, they're going to, mm-hmm. they need to know, like, and trust you and believe that you can solve the problem that they're looking to solve. And you need to build that relationship in order to do it. So it's just whatever can get the attention and get that relationship started. Do you mind, do you mind sharing what like your minimum project size is? Uh, 50,000. Right. And so that's the thing is when you're dealing with numbers that size or even just 10,000 and up, you're not going to get an immediate. Yes. You're not going to get it after just the first conversation. Then you're not even going to be talking about those prices really super early because it's a huge, there's a long buying cycle to it. It's not like a, a single, um, conversation will close the deal. And so many agency owners, I think that start on the lower side of things who were a freelancer and also became the accidental agency owner where they slowly started getting more work grew. They raised their prices here and there, but they're not, they don't get that relationship aspect of it. And that's honestly, it holds them back, not just from growing, but a lot of times from getting those larger deals. Well, and that's the thing there too, is, I mean, we used to charge a lot less, um, and we could go back and probably drop our prices down or create a package around that and get a flood of new business. But we have found that as we move up market, things are way less stressful. <laughs> um, so we have just pushed, how can we go up market even further? <laughs> um, because it's less stressful, you need less clients to be profitable. There's less headaches around. You need, need less bodies to fulfill it. And there is. I mean, it, it is. Those, those that beat you up over price really hard aren't the ones you want to work with anyway. Right. And that sort of thing is, I mean, at the very lowest end, when you have the, the freelancers that are just kind of getting by on Upwork, like they 
don't understand the differences at all. But even when you get into people who have web design shops and they're doing websites for maybe $2,500 to $5,000, like you can make a living with that. But the main difference between that and getting to a bigger price point is, is a lot of it is one, how you sell, but two, how you build the relationships to enable those sales. Well, yeah, it has to be, that's, it's really in justifying the, the, the money. I mean, if it's a 10 X, you have to have a reason why your new design or your new something is going to be better for them and they can justify the price. Because, I mean, we've sold, I mean, there's a hundred different landing page creation softwares out there and we've sold landing page redesigns for that are been optimized for fifteen to $20,000 for, for landing pages. <laughs> it's crazy. I mean, it, it really, you just kind of got to think of it as building that relationship. So now, I mean, we're in conversations for much larger tickets, but it's justified. Do you think because what the work you do is so close to the bottom line, like with A-B testing, with, with conversion rate optimization, all that, you're, you're really driving improvements where you can point to pretty quickly, this is how much more money this made you. Do you think that's made it easier for you to sell more on the value and, and increase your rates? Well, it is, but it's a really actually, and part of the reason why I wrote the book was to educate people on the importance of it. Because it's still shocking the amount of companies that are out there that talk about we just need more eyeballs on our stuff. I mean, that's what we're talking about here. Two, it's, it's just traffic. People are so worried about traffic instead of worrying about getting more out of that traffic. And when then you show them how it can have an impact on their business or maybe they're doing split testing, but they don't have an actual plan to do it. They're just testing random things and they're not seeing the results that they want from it. So then they immediately think it doesn't work. Um, so it's really kind of an education and really building up that relationship again, coming back to the relationship side of things is just making that important. And again, leading with the value that like here, here's what we've seen. Here's our, you know, here's some case studies. Here's some examples. You know, we do this every single day. Um, here's what kind of impact it can be and then prove it to them on their own use case scenario. I see. So, so it'll be kind of bigger picture stuff. It'll be more, well, not bigger picture necessarily, but it'll be, more generic, more theory about how this is why this is valuable, this is what it can do, here's some case studies, but then you'll really drill down the specifics by saying, we look at your website, this is specifically how this applies to you. Is it something like that? Yeah. So the book is called Conversion Fanatic. You wrote that. It was published about a year ago, almost exactly, actually. Almost Um, exactly, yeah. (laughs) When you published that, what was your main goal with the book? Main goal of the book was to write a book. (laughs) Um, it, now it was on my bucket list for quite a while and I just really didn't have an outlet for it. And then the more I found myself trying to educate people on the importance of optimization was where I figured out that I needed to write the book. Um, so I wrote it from a standpoint that I didn't want a bunch of theory. I wanted something really tangible, really actionable. And it took me over a year to write it for that fact because I could have knocked it out in a month probably, but I wanted everything to be real world examples and real world case studies and ideas and, and information that they can implement, you know, relatively quickly. So I, I kind of came at it from that standpoint when I published it because we self-published it and I really didn't know what to expect. And luckily it became a number one bestseller. You know, it's been great proof 
for us as a business, um, as well as myself as, you know, quote unquote expert in the field. Um, I don't really consider myself an expert, but, um, but I mean, now you can say I, I literally wrote the book on this. Yeah. And it actually says on our site, we literally wrote the book on it. <laughs> um, um, but yeah, I mean, it was just good credibility. Um, and that's one additional outlet that gets the attention of our audience because many of them are readers. So you put a book in front of them that says number one bestseller on it. You know, it, it adds a little bit of credibility and, and a little bit more proof that we know what we're talking about. I've talked with agency owners kind of on both sides of things where no matter how you do it, you need to find a way to differentiate yourself because there's so many agencies out there offering so many different services that it, it's, it's easy to get lost in the sea. And so what I've found is that a lot of agency owners, what they'll do is they'll pick a really, really narrow niche and they'll become the experts in, say, WordPress membership sites or even narrower than that. You'll, you'll see so many and that works. But the other agencies who don't necessarily go so narrow but are still able to differentiate themselves have developed kind of this intellectual property. They've developed this the credibility in ways of educating and building trust and building those relationships. And it's it's why you guys are able to charge 50 grand plus when there are, I don't even know how many CRO type of agencies out there there are, but it's, it's what's helped you build that credibility and build that differentiating factor. Yeah. And that other side of it too, is I'm, we're just rolling up our sleeves and going to get it. That's what a lot of it. And we're, we're failing along the way. And I didn't know the first thing about running an agency when we started this. I'm a direct response marketer originally that happened to know and be good at split testing. We just failed our way forward. My business partner, fortunately, is really good at the systems and processes side of the business. And I'm the one that just breaks stuff and then he cleans it up. <laughs> <laughs> so you guys make a good team in that sense then. Yeah, we, we do good. And we're fortunate. We've got a lot of good people on the team as well um, that keep things in line. I like how you said we go and get it. And that's literally what Outbound does is you're reaching out to people who weren't going to find you otherwise. But the the reason it works isn't that different than the same principles behind content marketing, like influencer marketing, whatever else you want to – buzzword you want to use to describe it. A lot of what the bigger agencies do is they have these books and instead of sending them out in this elaborate campaign, which some of them do, but a lot of it's going to be speaking. A lot of it's going to be just getting their name out there everywhere. So even if you're not looking for it, you're going to find them. Have you thought about going more that route and and trying to broaden the reach or just you guys like the laser focused one on one outreach no, campaign? We're, actually, we're we're expanding quite a bit. I mean, we're sponsoring more events. Um, I think we've already done two this year. Uh, we're doing two, one this week, one next week. Um, doing one in November, possibly one in December, and then another one in March. Um, I've spoken at masterminds. I've done. Um, I actually was in Chicago speaking at an executive retreat for a company. Um, so expanding there, but every trade show we give away books, um, to get it out there. I think the last one we gave over 450 copies away. Um, this one, this weekend, I think we've got 600 there. 
Um, I'm curious at, at trades like that. If you're giving away the books, do you ask for anything in return, like a way to follow up with them, or is it just here are the books and you just are not worried about tracking the individual results of that campaign? Um, a little bit of both. Um, we definitely try to go for the lead, but that's our, our opener. So we're giving away something of value that's outside of the rest of the swag and the junk you come home with from an event. You know, you don't need another T-shirt. You don't need another can koozie. You don't need another pen. So we, we try to kind of position it a little bit different. Like here's something of value. And you're going to remember us because, hey, that's the company that gave us the book. I mean, that's really what a lot of this boils down to is, is providing the value is providing the value up front being different by making it not about you and making it about them. And I mean, at a certain point, some people still do love the kind of the t-shirt and the koozies and all of that. But I don't know how many of those people actually are going to become clients of someone who gave them a t-shirt or a koozie. They might wear it, but that's about it. But with a book, you're, you're providing value. You're actually helping them and you're showing that you're not like all the other agencies out there. You're not like all the other businesses out there just trying to kind of spam their same mass message to everybody. Yeah. No, you got to be, you got to be focused a little bit, but you got to be a little bit crazy at the same time. <laughs> Let's stop Justin right there for a quick word from our sponsor. The Agency Advantage podcast is brought to you by Hubstaff. Hubstaff makes time tracking software for remote teams so that you can stop tracking time with spreadsheets or whatever else your team decided to use that week and start getting the insights you need that can only come from having accurate data all in one place. Our best clients are agency owners, and while they love the accountability that comes with it, it's sort of like Upwork but without the crazy fees, where they really find the value is by being able to connect Hubstaff with their project management tool to see how much time it really takes to deliver each part of a project. Think of it as Google Analytics for your team. I've been absolutely blown away by how many times an agency owner has come up to me and said, Andy, we started using Hubstaff a month ago, and after looking over the data, we realized we've actually been losing money on one of our most popular services. If you don't know what your real profit was in your last project, then you'd need to try Hubstaff out. To say thanks for tuning into the show, Hubstaff is offering all of our listeners a 30% discount on all of our plans. All you need to do is head over to try.hubstaff.com forward slash podcast and use the coupon code advantage that's try.hubstaff.com forward slash podcast and coupon code advantage all right let's get back to justin your direct outreach method built up your agency to where it is today it seems like naturally that proportion is going to go down because as you keep creating great valuable content as you you have your book you have as you keep doing more speaking as you do all these things it's just naturally going to shift more to having generating more inbound have you been seeing that or am i way off base um we yeah we've seen a little bit of an increase in inbound but it still again isn't the prime quality people um that you know it isn't the, the companies aren't quite there yet um so we're we're finding it a little bit it's it's creeping up there, but it's still not anywhere near what the outreach is yet. With your background, it seems like have you thought about creating like info products to serve those less qualified leads? They don't want it. Really? That's that's how we started the whole company. Um was let's teach people how to do it. And nobody wanted it. They're like, just do it for me. <laughs> 
And so, so a lot of the inbound leads want you to do it for you, but don't really have the budgets to make it worth it for you to do for them. Or the traffic to be able to make sense of an optimization plan. I mean, they get 20,000 visitors to their site a month, but you know, it takes forever to split test on that much traffic. Right, because that's one of the things with, with split testing, with what you guys offer, it's where the qualifications of a potential client are pretty, like, there's not a lot of wiggle room. Like, at a certain point, it just doesn't make sense for them to focus on this. There's other things they need to do instead. Yeah, and we've gotten really good about saying no. <laughs> <laughs> Which is something that, um, especially in the beginning, a lot of people had a lot of headaches because they can't say no. Yeah, I'm guilty. I mean, I would say yes to anybody and everybody. Be like, we'll figure it out. And it just ended up being headaches, but we had bills to pay. But yeah, just saying no to the wrong opportunities will open the door for the new ones and just go out there, bang on some doors and whatever way you can to get in the in your foot in the door. Just you call it your foot in the door offer. Yeah. It's something that to me is why, whether it's direct mail, whether it's just outreach in general, whether it's even inbound marketing, like the value of any of those systems, if you can get them to work, is that it gives you a predictable pipeline so that you're able to start saying no to people who aren't a good fit, who you don't need to be chasing after every checkbook because you know you'll still be able to make payroll next month because you have this kind of machine running and generating enough leads to keep you going and keep you growing. And I think it it gains you a little bit more respect as well. And it gives you, it puts you in a place of power. Um, I believe as well, it gives you leverage because you're able to say no and your mindset is kind of there. And I think people respect you for that instead of saying, they come banging down your door saying, hey, I need your help. You know, I've got this, this, and this. And then you say, well, here's the reasons why this isn't going to work for you. And you're just brutally honest with them. You know, I think that gains some more respect. And we've actually gotten referrals uh, from that standpoint. Right. And that's, I mean, that goes hand in hand with the, the credibility is that you can position yourself as an expert who's getting these great results. So you can do all this to change and and help improve someone's business. But if the client sees how desperate you are to close any and every deal, it just doesn't really back up that you actually are this genuine expert. Right. Because any expert needs to actually be qualifying the client. They need to actually be making sure they can help instead of just saying, yeah, yeah, we'll, we'll do it. Yeah. The reason why we get great results is we work with great clients. You know, that's, I mean, that's what it comes down to. <laughs> You've said that it's not an overnight process and you guys have made a ton of progress to getting to this point where now you really are fully embodying that and you're able to say no and you're able to turn down clients and you're able to fix the good ones. Did you have any mentors or any books or anything that helped make this process more approachable to you? I know you have direct response background, so I'm wondering if that lended itself well to this or what it was that made it this big of a success. Because I know you say you have to fail forward, you have to test, you have to do this and that. But people can still have a lot of bad tests and not really get there. Other than that testing mindset, what do you think allowed you to get to this point? Um, not, not being afraid to ask for help. Um, we've hired a couple different consultants. We've hired uh, – we're, we're working with one right now, in fact. Um, we've hired other experts for like just can I just buy an hour of your time you know, type thing to have a look at this and just destroy it. Uh, have them pick it apart. Both Manish and I, my business partner, are avid readers. 
Um, I think last year alone, I read 50 something books. So we, we look for anything and everything we can possibly get to test. Um, we take inspiration from other things. Like for instance, I use a solution. Um, I don't know. Is that how we got connected was interview connections? Yeah. So I saw Jason Swank. Uh, he was on this podcast. I, so I saw you were on his. And so that was what led me to reach out to you. Yeah. Uh, but I, I use a solution that oh, oh, oh. podcast as well, but I got a thank you note from her. Um, the other day, just a handwritten note. And she actually included a book on how to get customers to stick. It coincidentally was her dad's book, <laughs> but yeah, it's just, it's just different things like that. So I'm going to dive into that book. I got it yesterday um, on just unique different ways, but I got some inspiration from that. It's like, Oh, what can we do um, to even further our outreach and uh, to just take in massive action on it? Uh, but yeah, I read a lot of books. I think one was how to get a meeting with anyone. Um, I read a lot of sales books, a lot of um, persuasion books, um, just to kind of hone the craft. Um, a lot of business growth books. One of the one of my favorite ones of the last year was "Playing to Win" by A.G. Laffley, who was the former uh, chairman for Procter and Gamble. But yeah, just anything that I can do to, and and kind of encompassing our whole entire philosophy at our company is the philosophy of Kaizen and that's the art of continuous improvement. So we just look for ways to be better than we were yesterday. So how did that work? What didn't work and how can we make it better? And even if it's just a slight improvement, then it compounds over time. For sure. And there's two sides to it is that it's the hard part for me, at least. And I know a lot of other people are like me in that it's getting over the fear of acting. It's being afraid to fail. It's being afraid to be an amateur. It's being afraid to ask for help, any of those things. But the other side too, is you need to get the knowledge to at least know what direction you should be acting and what, what types of changes. So you can at least have the best guess to, you don't want to fail on purpose. So you want to at least have the best guess of how you could succeed. But then it's just actually the, the kind of, I don't want to call it courage. I think that's too strong of a word, but it's having the tenacity to actually go through with it. Yeah, that's, that's what it is. I mean, we were scared to death to mail that hundred dollar bill campaign. We didn't have an extra thousand bucks. It, it, it doesn't get any easier. You know, it, it doesn't get any easier shelling out $15,000 to sponsor an event. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it never does, but you got to try it. If you can swing it, you know, we started out sponsoring a $6,000 event. <laughs> you know, just something that we can kind of get the ball rolling and testing it out. And we ended up getting a bunch of leads from it. When the project is worth that much, a lead is worth a ton. Like it, it lets you get more creative with that. But at the same time, you don't just start out with in the major leagues. You don't just start out with this huge expensive test. You find something that works for your budget that lets you kind of dip your toe in the waters. And like you said, is that you guys failed on your first test, but you got you saw some promise. And so you went with that and you took that and ran with it and just kept continuously improving. We see failure with every single one of our campaigns at some level. Um, you know, whether it be the 10th email in the sequence gets a 0% open rate, you know, or response rate or something, you know, it, there's areas that you can improve every little thing, uh, in that process. But we often make, now we're kind of in the position where we make some big swings Um, so we're kind of swinging for the fence a little bit more, you know, it's either going to pay off big or we're going to fail, but we didn't get there overnight. 
we just had to move up the ranks and try little things, tweak it, stop it, and uh, and go from there. You're able to swing for the fences now. You're able to really take the big bets, and some of those are going to pay off tremendously, but they're not all going to. But you got there by taking by picking up a few singles, by getting a few smaller hits, working your way up, learning, improving, and so on. And that's just what I could recommend to any agency owner is just start small, like you said, and work your way up. But I'm curious, with that said, what does the future look like for Conversion Fanatics? Like, Where do you see things going on the business front going forward? Um, well, we're ramping up, actually, our outbound efforts right now. Like I said, we're doing a lot of a lot more events. So we're testing, we're actually testing different types of events. Um, we've been to two completely different styles of events already this year. Both yielded pretty good results. Um, so now we're going to test some different types of audiences to see what that yields. Um, and we're just growing. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's crazy. We're hiring like crazy. Um, we've got how a many employees new, do you have right now? Uh, 16, I think in like the next year, where would you like to see your head count at and, and all of that within the next 12 calendar months? We'll probably this time next year, I would say we're probably going to be about 25. I like hearing the details of how you got there and how you got here because the cold outreach method appeals to me because it's, it's repeatable. You have, you're the one in, the, in control, whereas with inbound with a lot of content marketing, you can increase your chance of success, but it's not fully in your control. You're hoping that this article gets read, that all these other things happen. Whereas with this, you can literally put the package in someone's mailbox. You can put it on their desk, wherever, and slowly work. So it's just a much more repeatable process. Not to say it's an easy one at all, because it's not. But I, I like hearing the, the insights into that. So I really appreciate you coming on to share that with us. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I'm not counting out content or anything. I mean, we published 110 blog posts last year. We still do four to six probably a month right now. Um, so I'm not counting that out, but I can't control it, like you said. And I like to have some level of control. That way I can know just how bad it fails because <laughs> I get a little <laughs> more instant gratification and where the chain is broken. So that, that just allows me, I, I, I only worry about what I can control. Exactly. And I mean, with content, obviously, you, you can always improve, you can put up better content, you can promote it better, you can do all that. But I know exactly what you mean is with the control, you roughly know if you send out this many pieces, if you have this many touches, you'll get this out at the end. And that's pretty appealing to me. As kind of a math guy, I, I you like having those numbers work out reasonably well and being able to tweak this and that. But but before we wrap up, though, I'm curious, where can listeners go to hear more from you, to hear more about Conversion Fanatics and all everything that you guys are up to? You can go to conversionfanatics.com. That's our main site. There's links over to the book on Amazon, all that fun stuff. And you can actually connect with me personally by going to Clixo, C-L-Y-X-O dot com slash Justin Christensen, all one word. And that'll get me direct access to all my social Oh, awesome. So I'll make sure I get all of that linked up in the show notes. I just want to say thanks a lot for coming on the show today. Yeah, thanks, Andy, for having me. I appreciate it. When I was getting ready for this interview, I really was thinking like, all right, I'm going to have Justin get into the nitty gritty details where he tells us exactly what he says in every single letter he sends, when he sends it, how he follows up, all of that. I wanted him to share his playbook. But as we got into the interview, I realized that would have missed the point entirely. 
While I did get him to share some really cool examples, both of successes and failures, the real lesson of this episode was to think of everything you do as part of a single system to build relationships with potential clients. So instead of thinking about your direct mail campaign or your Facebook ads as their own channels, realize that they all should be working toward the same primary goal of building relationships with prospects by providing real value to them. Direct mail is just another way to get in front of the right people, but to get the transformative results like Justin has, you can't just stop there. That's all I have for you this week. If you enjoyed the show and learned something, head over to iTunes and leave a review. Tell me what you did learn. I love hearing from listeners and positive reviews help us grow our audience. So if you could take a second to do that, I'd really appreciate it. Next week, I'll be back with Bill Faith, former professional golfer, 22-time entrepreneur, and founder of Inbound Marketing Agents, a marketing agency that hit $1 million in recurring contracts within the first year. If that description doesn't make you want to listen to the interview right away, then I have no idea what to tell you. You just really don't want to miss this one. I'll talk to you then. See ya. See ya.